Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Following Jesus together. We talked about that last week, that this that God commanded us to do life together. He actually did. He said, forsake not the assemblings of yourselves together. And we know that all throughout Scripture that God commands us to gather together, the ecclesia. But we learned last week that it's a command with benefits, right? That there's a, it's a command with benefits. And we know that one of those benefits is the blessing of God. It tells us that in Psalm 133, that whenever we gather together, that God commands, he bestows his blessing. He orders blessing on when, when brethren or sistren or whatever gather together in unity. We know in Acts chapter two, right? And the day of Pentecost have fully come. When did it come? When they were all together, when they were on the same page, when they were pursuing the same thing, then we see Pentecost happen because powerful things happen when God's people come together. That's why, that's why your quiet time is good, but whenever you, and when you're worshiping in your car and your way to church, it's good. But when you get in the room with other believers, it's powerful. Why? Because powerful things happen happen when God's people come together. And that's the theme of this series. Come on, powerful things. And so following Jesus is what we're doing. We're not just gathering together over some political cause or social cause or, you know, a good cause. No, no, no. We're gathering around Jesus. Come on. And, and, and what we found is this, is that, is that you're over here and I'm over here and we're different. If we will put Jesus at the center and we'll all work towards Jesus, what we see is that we come together. He brings people together. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. And so there is a lot of confusion. There is a lot of confusion about Christianity, denominationalism. I said it fine the first service. Of course, when we're recording and we're live, it's all, all off the charts. And so in, in religion, there's all this confusion. What is Christianity? Am I a Christian because I was born in America? Am I a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home? Listen, I'm, I'm grateful for all those things. But I, like our children, we love our children. But, but they're not born Christians because they were born in Pastor Josh and Leslie's house. They're not, they're not Christians because of that. They might have a Christian upbringing because of our value systems. But, but we, as their parents, aren't what makes them Christians. They must be born again. You're not a Christian because you were raised in the South or in a red state or even because you're a good person. That isn't what makes you a Christian. You have to be born again. So what is following Jesus? Because when we use the word Christian, that's what we're saying. We're saying we are Christ followers. In fact, in the book of Acts, you know, there's a lot of like stuff going on right now where people want to disassociate themselves from the word Christian, right? I get the evangelical thing. Yeah, we don't need to add anything else onto it. Just like you don't need to add plumber to Christian plumber. No, no, no. Just Christian. Christ follower. And what happens in, in Antioch where the disciples were doing ministry, they were being made fun of. They were being mocked because they acted like Jesus. And so they said, they're Christians. They're little Christ. Well, I would gladly be mocked if someone wants to say you look like Jesus. And in our culture today, in America, in 2021, we are seeing that it is not popular to be associated with Christianity. Beloved, we need to own up to it. We just need, Maybe we haven't done a very good job, but I think if we've been following Jesus close like we're supposed to, then I think that we would have a little bit better reputation than we have. And so, what is following Jesus? What is that? Does it mean you go to church? Going to church is part of it. Following Jesus means gathering together with other believers. 
Not, not just those that are, were born in your house. Come on. But following Jesus, beloved, is a narrow road. It's a narrow road. There, there are many that have come along and said, you know, actually, it's a really broad road and always lead to God. And, you know, God just wants to make it as broad as he possibly can. But the reality is it is a very narrow road. And all roads don't lead to God. If they did, then Jesus came in vain. There is a very specific way. And I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of people that don't know Jesus or really even know what Jesus said speaking on behalf of Jesus. So what I would rather do is I would rather let Jesus speak for himself. And we have four historical accounts of Jesus in your Bible called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John documenting what Jesus said. And those things have been tried to be, tried to be proved wrong for 2,000 years. And guess what? Nobody can prove them wrong. So I will take the Bible's opinion and Jesus' opinion on what he says about following him than what culture is saying. So, Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow. 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 For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. All the ways lead to destruction, except for one way. For many enter through it, but small is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Who are the few? The few are the ecclesia. We talked about that last week. Those that God called their name, and then they responded. And do you know that God is calling everyone's name? And we get to decide if we will respond and go through that narrow gate. And Jesus says, I am the way. You want to know the way to the Father? You want to know the way to God? Jesus is the way. Now, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the real Jesus. Okay? Now, culture has this, this picture of Jesus. Culture has this way of the gospel. You've got this movement called progressive Christianity where Christianity is progressive. Christianity don't need to progress. It needs to advance, but it don't need to change. In fact, we need to revert, I think, way back to what the disciples, how the disciples lived. And so this is nothing new. In fact, uh, there's several mentions in the New Testament, once in Galatians and then in 2 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about that there was a false gospel being preached even then, within the first century, that there was a false Jesus being preached. The people were going around and talking about this Jesus who was kind of this hippie love figure, right, coming out and, like, talking about all this stuff. And it wasn't actually Jesus. They were using the name Jesus, but it wasn't actually the person. It's like on social media when people will create accounts that emulate somebody else's account, and they're going around and they're saying, I'm this person, and then you get a notification from that person. They go, that's not me. That's a fake account. I think that that's what it was like. There were a lot of fake accounts. People were claiming to be Jesus. The name was the same, but the person was different. So he's not this socially constructed Jesus that people like to, to add on to their agenda their political agenda or their social agenda. Listen, Jesus is not a politic you vote for. He doesn't need your vote. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's not changing. He don't need your vote. He don't need your vote to be the king. He is the king. What he wants is your allegiance. What he wants is your devotion. He wants you to follow him. I love what Tony Evans says. He says that Jesus didn't come to take sides, 
He came to take over. And I love that. That's exactly what Jesus came. He didn't come, he didn't come to take your side, the left, or the right. No, no, no. He's got his own way, and he wants you to say yes to it. And Jesus is not some inspiring philosopher. Jesus had a lot of great things to say. He said kind of the same stuff that Buddha did. And he said some of the same stuff that Muhammad did. Get, get this. Jesus is not some inspiring philosopher. He is God in the flesh. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way or a truth or the life. That wasn't his claim. His claim is that he's the only way to God. That's what he said. So either Jesus is a liar or he's the Lord, or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Either he was who he said he was, or he's not. And I believe he's who he said he was. And I believe the evidence speaks of who he said he was. I believe that him rising from the dead and that being recorded throughout history reveals who he is. So my question to culture today is where do you get this Jesus you speak of? Where do you get this white hippie from the suburbs who's saying, why can't we just get along? And I think that many people have adopted this, this, this hippie, Jesus, who just cares for poor people, and everybody's going to get in, and everybody's included, and they miss who he really is. They love the lion, but they hate the lamb. I mean, they love the lamb, but they hate the lion. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, by the way. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's also the servant of all. This is who he is. I'll, we we want to take all of him. <laughs> so let's let him speak for himself. Amen? Luke chapter 14. Now this is so interesting. Verse 25, large crowds. Everybody say large crowds. Not large clouds. <laughs> I would like some large clouds today. Large crowds. We're traveling with Jesus. And in turning to them, he said, if anyone... Wants to come to me, anyone. It's an open invitation. If anyone wants to come to me and does not hate, uh-oh, he used the H word. No, the other one. Not the, not the H-E double hockey sticks, the other one, right? The hate word. Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple, cannot be my follower. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Some harsh words, Jesus. <laughs> Can you kind of fit back into the, the cultural narrative, please? Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. How many times have we seen that? Someone comes up to an altar. Someone posts on Facebook, I've received Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. I've been baptized. I've been born again. Yet they don't continue. And all they leave is an unbuilt building. And then when people go by, they say, yeah, I've heard that before. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who is coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In other words, he's not going to get into a battle he can't 
When? In the same way, what's Jesus saying? Count the cost. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, how much is Jesus going to require? That's the question we ask. What is the Lord going to require? What is he going to require? Everything. Absolutely everything. Will it cost me money? Everything. Will it cost me a relationship? Everything. Will it possibly cost me my family? Everything. Are you willing? The problem is that we've made this gospel and following Jesus so easy, easy beliefism, that now we're seeing all these people that realize how actually expensive it is to follow Jesus, not financially speaking, but heart speaking, that they say, I'm really not in it because you didn't count the cost. Because you didn't give up everything. And Jesus says that if you are not willing, you cannot be his disciples. Pastor, are you saying, no, I'm repeating. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? It will likely cost you everything. And you better be willing to give it all up. Now, what's crazy about this story is it starts off, and you said it, a large crowd. I mean, here it is, right? It's like the stadium. I mean, surely Jesus could win more fans right now. We had the, the dinosaur out in the lobby just a moment ago before it came in here, and I heard one of the kids saying, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. I think a lot of people are Jesus' biggest fan. And so they had, Jesus has all these fans. He has all these subscribers. He has all these followers. He has all these people he can influence. You would think that Jesus would just get really soft and just really broaden the net and say, come on, just everybody, come on in. No, he's like, you're all welcome in, but let me tell you what it's going to cost you. He doesn't use it to be a PC moment. I mean, he could have, Jesus could have took over everything in this moment if he just would have softened his message. If he just would have pulled back from the truth a little bit, he could have grown his church. But he wasn't interested in growing his crowd. He was interested in growing the kingdom. And that costs everything. He wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. Now, let me tell you what he does want. He wants us to love him back. He wants us all in. But Jesus isn't willing to hide the truth, to bring you in and hook you in so you can get in and say, oh, I don't really want this. And so now we've got people trying to find their way out. And Jesus said that would happen. In the end, the love of most will grow cold. Why? They didn't count the cost. I've seen a lot of people that eventually said, it just costs too much. I would rather have my life. He makes a statement, hate your family. <laughs> Whoa, Jesus. That's pretty intense. So you got to look at something with me. Family in Middle Eastern cultures, even some still today, if you changed religion, you were exiled from the family. In fact, sometimes murdered. I had a, a friend when I was a student at Christ for the Nations from India. He was a roommate, actually. And he said that he, was, he had a dream one night, and Jesus showed up to him in a dream and said, I am the way. And so he gave his heart to the Lord. He said, I'm going I'm to serve Jesus. He told his family about him. They said, you got 24 hours to get out of here. 
either deconvert or come back. And so he jumps on a plane and comes to the U.S. I don't think the U.S. will be a safe place much longer. I'll just, I'll just say, I think within the next 10 or 15 years, it'll not be very safe for Christians. But you'll be around. Come on. Come on, because you counted the cost. And so his whole family rejected him. They would have murdered him if he would have stayed there. Why? Because he was willing to hate now, the, the, the NLT says, in by comparison, and I like that because it does soften it because it is intense. In comparison, your love for Jesus will cause all your other loves to look like hate because you're so sold out. Yet we are so in love with ourselves and so in love with our career and so in love with our sexuality and so in love with our independence and so in love with our booze and so in love with all of our privileges and all of our rights that we say, ah, the Jesus thing's important, I'll just add them on. But that's not following Jesus. Jesus is everything. How, what will he require? Is it a sin to this? He requires everything. And then you could submit all those things to him. Lord, is this okay? Rather than going, it's okay. Because that's what we do. We go, it's okay. Right, Lord? Instead of going, Lord, what's, what, what am I permitted? Come on. Just helping you. So what are the requirements? Here he goes. Luke 9 to 23. Similar statement. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must first deny themselves, take up their cross daily. Oh, it's not even a one-time payment. And follow me. And so we've got some people that they, they do the first part, right? They're good at denying themselves, right? probably to the point of not being healthy. They might even take up their cross every day. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to do bad things. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to be a good person, yada, yada, yada. But they don't follow Jesus. See, so they're doing the first part, but they're not doing the most important part, following him. The whole point of giving it all up is to follow him. See, following Jesus is not a prayer that we pray. It's a life that we live. We will pray a prayer. We, need to, we must be born again. There has to be a moment. That might be through a prayer, it might be through an encounter. Who knows? But are you going to follow him? Or are you going to die daily? Oh, every day. Every day we wake up and we crucify our flesh. You, you know what? Sometimes I wake up and I still desire some of the sinful things that I did 30 years ago. Sorry, babe. Guess what I have to do? Not often. Guess what I have to do? I have to die to him. Sometimes I wake up in a bat with a bad attitude. Guess what I have to do? I have to die to my attitude. Sometimes I don't want to love my neighbor. I want to put myself first. Guess what I have to do? I have to die to myself. This is the gospel. This is what following Jesus looks like. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Listen, you might be a good person, but you're not good enough to get into heaven. You got to be as righteous as God is to go to heaven. You want to be with God, you got to be as righteous as he is. And there's only one way to get that righteous. And it's not through your works. It's through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their self or their soul? Whoever is ashamed of me, in my words. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is laying down this hard track and then he says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, have we been ashamed of this message that Jesus has come and die? Have we been shamed, ashamed of this message that says deny yourself? 
Have we been ashamed of it? Have we waited? Have we, have we kept that message in the back room in order to gain more fans of Jesus? Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me or my words. Don't be ashamed of the hard message. Or the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And in the glory of the Father and all the holy angels. See, the, the cost of following Jesus, and we're going to talk about these three points, but the, the cost of following Jesus is the same for every single person. You guys remember that story of the rich young ruler who was privileged, who was born into a good family, who had everything, right? He was living off Wall Street. I mean, he's, he's got it all. He's got possessions, and he says, I want to follow Jesus, and Jesus is going to cost you everything you have. Go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come back. And it says that he went away sad. And then just before that, we see a woman who has two pennies to her name and shows up at the temple and gives everything she has to God. The cost was the same, whether you're the old widow that has nothing or you're the rich person that has everything. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither female or male. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter what nation you were born in. It doesn't matter what gender you might think that you are. It doesn't matter if you're straight or you're gay. The cost of following Jesus is the same. What's it going to cost me? Everything. Are you willing to follow him? And you might think it costs you a little bit more because of your desires, but I guarantee you it doesn't because someone else has other desires. And they all must be yielded to Jesus, all of our desires. So, what's following Jesus look like? Because it's the same for every person. Number one, you got to come to him. You got to come to him. See, you can't follow him without him. <laughs> You can't follow Jesus without following Jesus. <laughs> you can't follow Jesus without coming to Jesus. Trying to follow him without coming to him is like trying to tie your shoes before they're on. It's like putting the cart before the horse, right? It's a supernatural walk. It's spiritual to follow Jesus. So you must be born of spirit to follow him. You've got to be reborn. What does that mean? That means part of you has to die. You must be born again. Jesus said it. You want to inherit the kingdom of God? You want to be with me and my Father? Guess what? You must be born again. It's not an option. It's must. And if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. A supernatural walk requires a supernatural work. And you've got to have the Holy Ghost. You've got to have Jesus. And, this is, and beloved, you've got to have a devotional life. We used to call it a quiet time. I don't like that because... God, God isn't very quiet when I'm hanging out with him. He's doing things. He's moving things. He's changing things. This thing, that's where most of my, my, my prayer and my attention when I die and daily is mostly, Lord, help me surrender this to you because I'm carrying it and I shouldn't be. Listen, you reading your Bible and praying every day is not something just cute for you to do. It's a must. If you are going to follow Jesus, then you must come to Jesus. Well, I don't have time. You have time for Facebook. You have time for work. You have time for your family. You don't have time for Jesus. I thought you were following him. He'll make you better. He'll make your time more fruitful. He'll make you better at everything you do if you come to him. It's incredible benefits. If I asked you this week, how much time did you spend with Jesus? Ugh, we begin to make excuses. Listen, you got to come to him. You can't follow him without him. I'm telling you, 
Well, I, I don't know where to start. Start in Matthew. And after you read it, you read it again. And just keep reading it. I've been reading the word for almost 30 years, and I can tell you it's alive to me every time I read it. Doesn't matter how many times. I've been doing that the last couple of years. That's what I've been doing. I don't try to read the Bible fast. If you read the Bible through in a year, awesome. I love that. I read the Bible really slow because I want to soak it up. And I'm just like, I'm digging deep, right? So whatever, whatever works. Are you praying? How much time are you praying? Well, I listen to podcasts. Listen, pod, podcasts don't equal Bible reading, Right? I listen to preachers. I listen to Stephen Furtick. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you But that's supplemental. Look, can I tell you, Sunday morning is a supplemental. I can't read the Bible for you. I can't pray for you. You can't live off my relationship with God. Now, most of the stuff I get is when I'm spending time with God, and he's like, here's a little bit more. I'm like, oh, I'll work over here. The overflow of that. So you got to come to him. You need him to live for him. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been committed to me by my father. How much of it? All of it. Jesus is the king of all of it. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son who's born, who, whom the son chose to reveal to him. Except the son and those whom the son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is making this statement, right? He's like, nobody else knows God. Always lead to God, not according to Jesus. So do you believe Jesus is a count or do you believe whoever else's? Cultures, Time Magazine, whatever. New York Times, Discovery Channel. Who, who are you going to believe? I'm going to believe Jesus. He's the one that knows the Father. So he knows the way of the Father. He knows the way to the Father and the ways of the Father. You want to know what the Father looks like? You look at Jesus. That's what, you, the, what does God look like? Jesus. He's the fullness of the Father. So this is what he says, come to me. There it is, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. They were, they were walking around burdened by the law of Moses, performing, performing, performing. Listen, performance will follow. Performance isn't the point. The point is a person. The point is Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm going to put something on you, but you're going to learn from me. For I am gentle. And humble of heart, in heart. Did you know that the only time Jesus ever describes himself is right here? I am gentle and humble of heart. Even when I'm driving money changers out of the temple, I'm gentle and humble of heart. Even whenever I return to the earth with a sword, I like to think that when it says his eyes are like fire, I, I, I know the intimate word of that, but I also think that they're like lasers. Like, like he's like, you know, like the Superman laser things. I just, I just see Jesus coming back and he's like, right, I think it would be awesome. Even, even in that, wouldn't that be so cool? We see him, he's like, we're like watching TV, all of a sudden it's like takes over all the televisions and he's like on a horse and he's like, it's so awesome. works. But he, he makes that statement. Even in that, even in laser beams, I'm humble of heart. I'm gentle. I'm kind. I'm gracious. And you will find rest. I mean, you know, sleep and rest are two different things. Some of you think you need more sleep. You need rest. You get rest, you'll sleep better. 
Rest is a result from peace. You know where you get that peace? By being reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. For my yoke is easy. Whoa, hold up, Jesus. It sounds a little different than a while ago. And my burden is light. Whoa, 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 what? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So is it hard or is it easy? Yes. <laughs> Proverbs says this, that the way of the transgressor is hard. The sinner, the sinner's way is hard. You guys have, man, I can tell you, the people I ran around with when I was in high school, you look at them now, and they look like they're 30 years older than me. Why? Because the way of the transgressor is hard. You're carrying around all that bitterness, all that hardness, all, those, all, the, all, all the toxins that have been in their body for decades because they're just trying to, to, to numb themselves from the life experience. And I'm not boasting on myself, but I kept short accounts. And I came to Jesus when I was 18 years old, and he's rescued me from a lot of time in jail and a lot of toxins in my body and a lot of diseases. Come on. He rescued me. So we got to come to him. And the way that we come to him is that we trust him. So you got kind of two elements, right? You have the, the stool of self. And you have the chair in Christ. And this is where we start off. The stool of self. High. You ever sat in a stool for a long time? It takes a lot of work. You don't realize your body's working, but you got to posture up. Don't take a picture of me. My belly probably showing when I sit down. You got to posture up. You don't realize it, but it's, it's a load putting all that compression on your back. And you're sitting there and you're going, you know, I just got to do what's right for me. This is my hope. This is my ambition. These are my goals. This is my money. This is my relationship. This is my kingdom. All about me. We talked about this last week. You got to turn the me to we. If we're going to follow Jesus together. The problem is we have too much me in the church. We have too much self. And Jesus makes this statement, and he tells us the cost. What's it going to cost to follow him? You've got to deny yourself. Then he makes this statement. You've got to pick up your cross. You've got to die to self. And then you can follow me. But following him means trusting him. And it means that you sit down. In that seat. Whew. All of a sudden, the seat's doing all the work. And when I sit in the seat of trust, I'm not just trusting him that I'm going to go to heaven one day when I die. I'm trusting, for, trusting him for the life that I experience now. He's the good shepherd. I'm allowing him to lead my life. He's the Lord. I've heard it said, he's, he's, he's Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. Is he the king? Yeah. Then I'm surrendered to what he says. All of a sudden, it's not, Lord, what can I do? It's, what is your will? What is your desire? Because now I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. My life has been hidden in Christ. It's not about me. It's about who I'm resting in. And whenever I'm there, 
He's leading my life. What we don't do is we don't grab that seat of self and try to somehow make it fit into Christ because it just is not going to work. No matter what I try to do, it's just unstable. Paul says it this way, don't let anybody else lay another foundation other than the foundation of Christ. He's solid. We're not trying to work our own way in and try to get a little bit of relaxation going in. It's got a nice little handle on it. I'm not going to die to myself. And if I pick it back up, I got to put it back. This is why baptism is so important because it says, you know what, I'm dying. I'm washing off that old life, and I'm seated in Christ. It's the transfer of trust. That's what it means to come to Jesus. That's what it means to trust him. When we talk about faith, it's such a, such a strange word because we don't, that's all it is. It's just saying, I'm putting all my weight on him. trusting Jesus. I've come to him. I'm following him. I come to him. I trust him. And the third is this. I'm loving and obeying him. Now, I put loving and obeying because we have this idea in our culture that you can love without obey. Oh, they look, I, man, I youth pastor for so long. Y'all have heard me talk about that. I youth pastor for so long. And I can't tell you how many conversations I had with parents where they said, they really love the Lord, but they're living like the devil. I'm like, well, then they don't love the Lord. Well, pastor, that's not a very pastoral thing to say. Well, it's a very Jesus thing to say. Look, John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> oh, pretty high standard, Lord. What's love look like? Obedience. Submission. First John 5, 2, 2. y'all okay? This is how we know that we love the children of God. I love all God's people, right? This is how we know by loving God. We have, we have a culture that's obsessed with this thing called love. By the way, can I just say this to you? In the book of Acts, they never used the word God loves you in advancing the gospel. I'm not saying it shouldn't be said. It should be known, God loves you, but they never used it. Let you keep that and snack on it all week. Maybe you'll do a little Bible study through the book of Acts and see what they, how they advance the gospel. That'll be great. Maybe you'll prove me wrong. I'd love that. But not on Facebook. Just personally. Okay. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. Following his commands. In fact, this is the love for God. To keep his commands. You want to know what love looks like? Obedience. And his commands are not burdensome. So it's not like, I'm like, well, I got to obey God because I love God. Right? Right? I'll prove it to you, Lord. No, no, no. You don't prove your love to God through obedience. You show him your love through obedience. And that's a big difference. 
Then you get to this place called pleasurable obedience where you're like, man, God, I like, I was struggling when that guy like pulled me off in front of traffic and I was like wanting to cuss him out and I just prayed over him in the spirit. And you did that and you're like, wasn't that good, God? And he's like, yeah, it was so good. I love it when he did that. Remember when that person was rude to you at the grocery store and you smiled and you went, I'm sorry. When's the last time you did that? Or did you go, it's not my fault. You're the one that's wrong. Right? You're not going to tell me. It's the stool of self coming out. Better die to that. Now listen, none of us have the perfect track record. None of us are following Jesus 100%. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is a high standard. Very high. I don't think it's impossible because he, would, he commanded it. But we should be getting better at it. Come on. And we're not perfect people. We're following a perfect Savior. And, and, and the difference is this, is whenever I do get off a little bit, that I don't go, oh, he's okay with it. I go, ah, oh, I need to get back over here. Lord, I don't ever want to justify a sin. Or anything that maybe we wouldn't even consider a sin, anything that would not bring honor to him. So what does it look like? What does loving him and obeying him look like? Let me just give you a few things here. Number one is putting the kingdom first. Putting the kingdom first. Putting it before your family, before your job, putting the kingdom of God first. What does that mean? That means that you're living like Jesus is ruling and that you're ruling with him. And if you put him first, you put the kingdom first, God's central kingdom first, We've talked about that a bunch. God's central, not first. God's central, everything revolves around him. Jesus, everything revolves around him. Kingdom first. If we'll do that, everything else will be blessed. Seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness and all these things will be added. He'll take care of it. Number two is extending compassion. Caring for the needy. Caring for those that have less than you do. I was thinking, we're getting some renovations done in our house. And I was in our we call it our guest bathroom. It's really our kids' bathroom. And I was in there getting ready this morning. I was thinking, what a hassle it is that I have to use this sink and use this shower. <laughs> it's like people 100 years ago would have been like, wow, I got a sink and a shower. We're so spoiled. But are we caring for people? Are we grateful for where we're at? Are we extending compassion? Are we putting others before yourself? And listen, this is the measure of love. The measure of love in the kingdom isn't how well I love those that treat me good or those that I, you know, the needy, but for my enemy. How well do you love your enemies? How, do you, how well do you love those that are against you? Well, I'll love them with my fist. That's not love, you know. You know. Because this was, that's a high standard. Your political enemy. The, the troll on Facebook. Gosh. I've gotten convicted so many times being defensive and I have to go back and apologize to people. Because I'm called to even love my enemies. Even if they're not even my enemy, I'm thinking of them like an enemy. That's the test of love. How well do I love those that are against me? Am I putting others first? Am I me-centered? Am I putting others first? Am I walking in forgiveness? 
You know, it's crazy. We claim the Savior that forgives us of sins who is on the cross being murdered by men. He's God in the flesh being murdered by men. And he looks to the Father and he goes, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Would you forgive them? And we get offended this much. And we allow it to embitter our hearts. Who are we following? Are we maintaining a Christ-like posture? A Christ-like posture. Uh, years ago, when I was you know, at Christ for the Nations, I was actually visiting Christ for the Nations. I was about to be a student out here. And uh, we went to the, the mall, the Parks Mall in Arlington. They used to have this store called Gadzooks. Y'all remember Gadzooks? Well, if you know, like, like Hot Topic from, like, 15 years ago, like, that would have been Gadzooks in the 90s. And so Gadzooks was like the cool store, you know. So we'd go to Gadzooks to do some shopping because we're in the Metroplex and we don't have any cool stores where I was from. And so we're in there and we're like kind of witnessing to this guy at Gadzooks, his employee. And he's like, who's him? What are you guys doing out here? So we're like kind of telling him about the Lord and, and stuff. And he goes, yeah, man. He's like, I used to be into like church and Jesus and all that stuff. And he said, I had one of those what would God do bracelets. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The what would Jesus do bracelet? Y'all remember that WWJD? I think now it should be WWID, what would I do? But it's really what would Jesus do? And so he said, yeah, man, I used to have one of those. And what would God do? I thought it was funny that he called it that. What the what would God do bracelet? I'll never forget that. And, I, and I was, he's like, and then one night I was at a party and we we're getting blasted and I had a beer in my hand and I saw my WWJD. WJD bracelet, my, my what would God do bracelet, and so I decided to take it off. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wow. I was like, I think it was supposed to be there to help you, like, you know, not do the crazy wild thing and, you know, leave that part on, and you should have got everything else off, but, uh, but he didn't. But nowadays, people would just say, oh, no big deal. Jesus wouldn't care about it, and here's a sinner feeling conviction about his lifestyle, and now we can't even get Christians convicted. We just, we just dismiss it. Can I tell you today, guilt is not your enemy. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will make you feel guilt so you can be made right. Can you hear me? Don't, be, don't, don't make anybody you feel bad about that. Listen, if you screwed up, by the grace of God, I'm praying you feel bad about it. You would not continue. Okay. So in purity, this is the Christ-like posture. We, we are representing him. We are representing him to the world. Do we look like Jesus? Are we living pure? You're not going to be sinless, but you can sin less. In purity, a little Christ, and in humility. How are we representing him? In purity, in the lifestyle choices that I'm making. Listen, beloved, it is important what your life looks like when people look at you, do you look like the world or do you look like Jesus? If you're following Jesus, you should look like Jesus. If you're not, you're going to look like the world. So do you just blend in? Because Jesus is, is telling the multitude, I got a thin way for you. Are you willing to get into it? Are you willing to adapt to the lifestyle of purity? It's not an option. Yeah, we're running around with this, oh, God doesn't rebuke it. God doesn't say anything about it. Forget all that. What does it look like to the world? Are you letting your light shine or are you letting you shine? It's all about me. That's heavy. Not as strong as I used to be. Okay. Used to be much stronger. Okay. 
Some of y'all know that movie reference. All right, Philippians chapter two. Here it is in humility, gentle and humble of heart. Somebody are like, man, have pastor gone wild. We need to go. Okay, Philippians chapter two. I'm with you. Therefore, you can come up, babe. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, anything common of sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Here he is talking to his people. And being like-minded, have the same love, being one in spirit and in one mind. We're all focused on the same thing. Jesus, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, whether in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Other translations use the word attitude. who in the very nature of God, come on, can we just stand and honor the Lord right now? Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I love that. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. The God of the universe humbles himself by becoming obedient to death and not just dying, but dying like a criminal, dying in public scrutiny and humiliation, even death on a cross. Therefore, God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him that name that is above every name. Beloved, if we want to be great, have hearts that are totally in the spirit of Jesus.